Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Simon. Uh, Simon, you've been kind of orbiting or, or hanging out with with some of the kind of the Doomer Optimism uh, accounts and uh, you know exchanging a lot of information about a lot of things having to do with permaculture and kind of taking community initiatives around kind of food production. Uh, and I know that you also uh, have been involved with this organization, Perma People. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's kind of a, just, a, I guess for the audience first, uh, it's a little bit of background and, uh, but perhaps you can fill in more, you know, just kind of, you know, where you come from, uh, formative influences to, that led you to where you are today and just a broad overview of what you're up to. And then we can dig, dig in deeper. All right, sure, sure. Um, so, where to start? Uh, I've been living all over Canada. I, I've moved to many places looking for, um, mostly with my partner and I, looking for that uh, sort of community. That was always something we were after. So, in doing so, we ended up moving to a lot of different places and trying a lot of different lifestyles. Um, we lived in a van for a while. Uh, we traveled around that way. Um, we lived in a couple cities. Um, we lived in like tiny little communities. Uh, we went way up north to the Yukon to check that out too. Lived in a tent for a summer. Um, kind of all along the way, picking up these uh, sort of ideas about what, what we wanted to do and where we wanted to end up. Um, and somewhere along the way, uh, I ran into uh, the idea of permaculture. Um, I had come across um, Sepp Holzer's uh, Farming with Nature documentary maybe about 10 years ago now when I was living in this uh, little tiny community um, in the Kootenays in British Columbia. Um, and we were kind of part of this, uh, this, uh, this lady was trying to start some sort of commune. So she had just built this tiny house that we had moved into and we had pretty much free reign to create our own garden and like grow whatever we wanted around the area. Um, so yeah, since since that's that's when I really started to dig into it. Um, prior to that, I did quite a bit of traveling, uh, saw a few different countries, um, and actually my first introduction to permaculture was uh, in Australia in about two thousand nine. Uh, I was going to visit um, my friend's family over there, and uh, they had a friend of the family. They were like, "Oh, I want to take you to see this really interesting garden," and it was a, a mature food forest that he had been uh, managing for um, I guess it was like a youth group in town so all the troubled teens and stuff would go there at, for after school programs and he would teach them about uh, food forest and gardening and stuff so that was my first real run-in with that um, yeah I mean grew up in BC um, doing a lot of nature-based things hiking and camping and stuff and fishing as a kid so I was always into nature and outdoor stuff um, and then, yeah, so I guess that's backwards, but. Yeah, well, what, what spoke to you about permaculture? Why, why were you drawn to it? Um, I think coming from like such a, a nature nerd sort of mm -hmm. uh, background. And it was always like, I was always nerding out about animals and, and their place uh, growing up and asking all the crazy questions um, about what animals were doing what uh, in the woods and stuff like that. So 
I think coming across permaculture and realizing you could work within those systems that sort of were already working um, and go from there. And then the potential that was to be seen with what happens when you actually apply a little bit of your own influence on those systems. Yeah, I think that was a, what was so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and along the way, you, you got involved with Perma People. Uh, yeah. What, what is that about? What, what has been your involvement with that and, and what, what is this group trying to do? Sure. So um, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, um, I was laid off from my job uh, and in a, an attempt to do some up sort of, uh, I guess, upskilling. Uh, I, I had always had the idea that I wanted to create some sort of plant database. Um, so I started building this out um uh, just as a sort of side project and i started trying to use it to catalog a bunch of different names of plants in an excel sheet or what do you mean by yes like code stuff sorry i work in tech so like uh, i wanted to to get better at some of the these technologies so i was going to build out this whole thing with the, the whole actual database and stuff like that um so i started compiling all the plants uh where i was living at the time um as a way to to sort of do this upskilling project um and so I had something just working on my computer uh, and then I was on Permis one day and um, I saw somebody, Ben, my friend Ben, who's now I'm working on Perm people with, but he had posted and said, um, I'm looking to create a plant database. I want to create something for like that's permaculture focused and somewhere where people can go to just get the information. Uh, and if anyone's interested, just reach out to me. So uh, I did. And yeah, that was almost three years now. Ben and I have been working on it. We've been the the core of the project. Um, the original mission was to sort of create a, like a, a permaculture focused database because that was not something we had seen where you, you'd focus more on like the, the niches and the layers and such systems along with a lot of uh, like the companion planting and things like that. Nice. So, so in this database, you said companion planting, you could list like kale i want to plant kale and i want to know what the companion plants are and it's designed to make make them come up and tell you i guess maybe why the relationships are beneficial and yeah like that yeah okay. and it would be like this kale's a herb so you know fill in your other niches or whatever right and yeah. is, is more people also like a social media does it have like a social like a like a social media element where there's like people chatting with each other and or is it yeah, so a database for sure so we've actually that was the original mission back when we had uh, started. Um, but now it's become much more about like uh, digging into the open data uh, on the internet and bringing as much planting information as we can together. So that's for the last two years or so, that's what we've been focused on much, much further beyond permaculture. But um, yeah, we've, we've worked on the database first as our main foundation. We started with plants for a future, um, restructured a bunch of their data and pulled out as many, data pieces to make it as searchable as possible. So in this way, like we could, instead of just having walls of text, like you see on Wikipedia or plans for a future, um, we've made it so you could search for every single data point. And now if we've done this with thousands of plants, like we have almost 9,000 plants on there now that you can do this with. So you can, you can get super granular. Um, and then based on this, we've, we've created uh, lists. So like you as a gardener can come create lists of whatever plants you want, organize them in certain ways, group like group them. Uh, and we're working on some new features there as well, where you can actually show custom fields. So you'd be able to grab like all the, the flowers that are 
all the herbaceous flowers in your garden um, and sort them by height or check which time they bloom or any of the, the data that we have and sort of organize it that way. Um, we've also got an open marketplace, which has been a, not something we thought would take off, but we created it for ourselves to start some seed swapping. Yeah. Um, and it's become, I think, our biggest feature on there, especially in like a, the late winter. Um, basically, <laughs> people can go there and they can sell or swap. We encourage swapping. 99% um, of the seeds on there are available for swap. Currently, uh, there's over 200 seed listings currently. Um, and we really, we try not to encourage the exchange of money at all. Um, so we don't really have any features to support that, but yeah, we've. And is this, is this is the idea with the seed swap that, that different people are kind of developing their own land race varieties and, and they have, you know, like, you know, fourth year in a row, they've been developing uh, some some crop with unique characteristics and then or is it oh I, I bought some seeds from uh, you know a major seed vendor uh, sure. and I decided I don't want them so here it, right they're kind of a tendency there um, it, it leans a bit both ways I think like a, a good number of them is just people like seed savers that are that are out to trade and and give them away freely really which is what we want to encourage as much as possible yeah we did like to just make it as accessible as possible so like we're happy to just send seeds to people you know yeah i mean it reminds me of a seed library like here mm -hmm. um you know in, in our town nearby you know they there's like a you know it's literally at the public library so right. you go and you pick up seeds and you know you get some varieties that have you know certain families have you know been growing probably for hundred years or so. Exactly. Yeah. Very locally specific. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's cool. Is, is the people who've been involved with kind of the seed swapping, is it like, what's the geographic extent? Is it mainly in your region of Canada or, or you like swapping with people in Costa Rica and <laughs> crazy stuff like that? <laughs> um, I, I try to stick to similar bioregions uh, for my own swapping, but um, we have people in all over the place, like Africa and Europe and stuff as well, which okay. is kind of cool. And then all over North America. Okay, so so somebody a um, just wants to have a really good searchable database for plants and the relationship with other plants and soil types and everything, or if they want to go into kind of a barter seed saving barter economy, uh, yeah. permapeople.org is is where to go. Exactly, that's it. Nice, nice. And is there any other features that you want you want to highlight uh, about permapeople or, or or ideas for where you want to go in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think part of our mission, like our main mission is to, to help as many people grow as many plants as they can for both food and utility. And lots of what we've seen so far is either just for aesthetics, like other databases and, and all that, um, or for food. But I think utility is a sort of an underserved space currently. So we're working uh, a lot with sort of the regeneration mindset now, uh, working to bring as much um, data about utility um, into the database as possible so we can we're hoping to power um, some real life projects uh, for like regenerative projects um, so anything to do with textiles and raw materials using plants for those uh, dyes um, we would like to work on some herbal stuff as well like medicinals um, yeah I mean we also just released a, an API which is cool because we're, we're hoping to really start powering other projects too um, all of our data is uh, creative Commons. So the data that we use is also Creative Commons, anywhere we pull from, or it's just us 
cherry picking pieces from available data sets and inputting it all ourselves so that we ensure that it's all under okay creative commons to be available for everybody nice and so so i imagine that this is it's not it's not generating income so this is kind of a labor of love uh yes absolutely yeah you guys, you guys like take donations or uh we so, try to yeah. it's not something we're very good at but uh we we've had a couple people donate uh, a few you know for a few months or whatever or people reach out once in a while and tell us oh we really don't want this to disappear um yeah. but ben uh have to give him props but he's been paying for it the whole time okay so, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's interesting i mean this can lead maybe into a, a conversation about you know how do we think about capitalizing the commons mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of ideas floating around about that but it, nothing you know it still seems to be really hard to engage in kind of what you guys are doing you know it, it's it's there's not really a lot of social support for it yeah I'm curious if you have thoughts about that or or thoughts yeah. about ways that you know i guess better models besides you know hoping that you know somebody takes pity on you in your project totally. that, that you know something that where you're you're producing real value um but it's not commodified value uh yeah. and 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 you know and, and it makes it it's not like you're doing it for money but but it, it makes it hard to manage the other parts of your life where you still have to pay bills and everything yeah exactly i mean we when we first started we had discussed like what what do we want to do with this as a project as well and one sort of idea we were playing with right away was like can we make like a permaculture organization or an organic organization we like to call it um and part of that is like it, we try to be so, as sociocratic as possible like any volunteers that are with us at the time can help make decisions we do random votes if we're deciding on what to work on next we don't have deadlines we don't have hours um so we just work when we can, what we're feeling like, as long as it makes us happy, that's our main rule, we'll work on it. Um, with regards to monetization, that kind of plays into it as well. We don't want to do anything that would potentially, um, I guess, sort of sour that mission. Um, I, I don't think it's, without it being a gift or a donation, I don't think it's necessarily compatible with our mission. So for now, we're gonna do that. We're gonna try to package things um, potentially sell them that way. Um, right now we're talking about potentially uh, publishing a book or a, like a compendium uh, with some of our data. Um, so you'd have maybe categories, say first one would be common garden plants. And maybe you just have like a whole bunch of data, some interesting articles in like a zine format. And then maybe we would crowdsource the publishing, mm -hmm. sell off or send off a bunch of those. Um, and then to try to make more value out of that one idea we had too was to to help other organizations potentially raise money if they want to so we would uh open source the book um and pass it off to maybe uh local garden like co-ops or uh community gardens and let them print and sell those too um so i think in that way like we're trying to stick to the permaculture model as much as possible like stacking functions any anything we make money from other people should also be able to make some money from too Nice, nice. Okay, and uh, do you want to talk about kind of what you know what your kind of growing uh, space operation is? Do you, do you grow mainly for kind of household sufficiency? Do you do you? I, I think you, I, I saw a while back you were like getting a lot of starters going and giving them away or something. Mm. 
But what's your what's your growing operation like? What's your space like? What are you sure. what are you working with? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm on about a third of an acre here, so pretty small. Um, but we're we've got forest in the back, so there's a little bit of uh, expansion. It's not ours, but it's there, so it gives us uh, a lot of materials and stuff to work with when we need it. Mm -hmm. Um. I've got uh, a couple of raised beds, just four by 10 that I put up last year. We're pretty new here. Uh, I just moved here in September of 2021. So just over a year now. Um, we have got a couple of raised beds in and I've already put in some sort of uh, rows of perennials and shrubs uh, and trees. So I've got a bunch of fruit trees and nut trees in uh, pretty much the first summer uh, as well as the raised beds. So mm -hmm. I've got a good number of those. Uh, I tried to focus on things that I'd be able to reproduce um, or used to propagate more um, and then as well I, I've been trying for the last few years uh, even before here I've been really trying to learn how to propagate uh, things from forage seed and and nuts so I've had pretty good luck with nuts so far so I'm, I'm kind of focused on nuts because it's so easy and the elk come is uh, a lot bigger so um, when I was in British Columbia we had a really cool uh, heritage nut grove there. So I was able to go in the fall and collect about like 10 different kinds of nuts from there was like five different kinds of walnuts, a bunch of hazelnuts and things like that. So um, I experimented with just starting them like the classic cold stratification in a bucket with some wet leaves over the winter. Mm. Um, as they started to sprout, I just threw them all into nursery pots um, and ended up with, with about a dozen massive walnut trees by the end of summer and they were like three four feet tall they were very happy from that uh, those genetics mm -hmm. so i was able to to swap and um, pass out a few of those so when we came here i've been doing the same thing i found a source for uh, hickory nuts and there's a couple of really nice black walnut trees around um wild ones i, I went out and found the ones that produced the biggest nuts i could so i've been trying to sprout a lot of those i did some of that last year and again had about a dozen trees um i did some I used them for bartering with some local farmers and got some organic hay and stuff for the gardens uh, and then just gifted a whole bunch of the rest to friends. And then I planted a few in the forest behind us as well. Um, very, very cool. And and so are you, are you going to, is your plan just kind of continue, uh, like make more raised beds, propagate more nut trees? Do you, do you have kind of like, a, are you taking it like year by year or do you have like this kind of grand five-year vision or? Sure. Uh, I'm trying to put together the vision now. So uh, I, I was doing a bit of crowdsourcing on Twitter last year with it. So that was kind of fun. And I had a few uh, landscape and permaculture designers reach out for, with some tips, which was really neat. Um, so yeah, it was more about getting the flow going, you know, how are you going to actually use the space? So, so far I've started in the safe spots and um, where we are in this this area, there's no fences. That's not something they do here. So everybody's got these massive lots. And so I've kind of um, just started using all the margins to plant in. So I've planted a row that's like fruit, uh, cherry and hazelnuts and mulberries and um, some kusa dogwood and underplant. There's already a couple peonies there that are going good. So I've been able to use those for some chop and drop throughout the year. Um, and then just working on thickening that out and just um, I'm just throwing whatever spare seed I have around the base of them and then planting out a, a bunch of chives and strawberries because I know those will take anywhere and then I, I've done the same on the other side so I've got sort of lined on the margins out of the way a little bit um, but I've started to expand in there um, by the end of last year so I did, I've got ideas for how the flow is going to go um, yeah ideally I'll have 
several dozen fruit and nut trees. Um, sticking with the mostly small ones for now, uh, since there's not a lot of room. Yeah. Yeah. The big stuff. Do you, do you, do you have problems with like deer eating your trees? Do you have to, do you have to fence everything or you just, we, you just... we actually haven't seen any deer around here. I think squirrels That's... and bulls are the, the yeah. biggest issues right now. Very lucky. I mean, I, we have to basically fence all, all of our trees. Yeah. Uh, just, they'll just get decimated and it's just, oh, yeah. it's, it's such a pain in the ass because it, it it kind of looks it just looks bad it's a lot of money um you know it it, it kind of and it also it it kind of if i feel like it restricts how i creatively i can think about like companion plants and absolutely uh you know kind of guilds just because you have this yeah. fence around it and it's like well yeah, that's know. a whole other constraint yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a it's a pain um yeah yeah, yeah, we had the same issue at our last place, like quite overrun by deer when I was in British Columbia. Um, yeah, I mean, that might be, I don't know, this is like not really talked about, but I, I feel like this might be like one of the biggest constraints to the, like the permaculture food forest vision. Um, yeah, just... absolutely. Like the size of the fences I see on some people's gardens around here, not, I guess our neighborhood seems to be safe. Like we haven't seen any deer. They seem to not like the forest. It's pretty mucky. So maybe that's why, I don't know, but. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm envious. Uh, <laughs> for now, for now, wait, wait this year and we'll be overrun probably. Yeah. So, uh, let me ask you, uh, when, when you, when did you start coming across kind of the doom or optimism crowd and, you know, what did that, you know, term and, and kind of this approach, you know, like, like how did, you know, what, what, what was it you know what did it mean to you uh sure. I, i'm curious what you think about kind of the philosophy of what of what we're trying to do and and you know some of the controversies that have that have come up that you know i think you've you've noticed and things yeah i'm curious like what you think about this scene kind of like you know uh, what you like about it and, and what critiques you have sure um well i can't I I should look, I should search back one of these days and see when I first started, but I feel like it's got to be like, since I moved, maybe right before I moved here. So it's been, I've been hanging around for about a year and a half or since I came across you, you, uh, I think it, it was probably your account that I came across first, probably for the permaculture content. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first saw you guys talking about Doomer optimism, um, and I think I listened to one of the podcast episodes, one of the early ones, um, it just encompassed so much of what me and my partner have sort of been trying to live like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we've always been about trying to provide as much as possible and trying to be as resilient as possible. Like, Are, a, you, are you guys doomers or post-doomers? Like, like, did you go through a, a period where you're like, oh, wow, you know, things are, things are really messed up? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was ready for the collapse. I was ready for the zombie apocalypse, you know, like... <laughs> but um i think the op like as i've aged and like and like as my daughter has grown too i've I've learned to become much more optimistic um and seeing what's possible out there and i think I don't have to. the most interesting change like i feel like coming across doomer optimism was like almost a perfect time but when i saw the definition i was like oh that's that's exactly like my my whole that's it that's it explains what's in my brain right now you know um but I feel like one of the big 
realizations and coming through that like when I was like yeah let's let's just collapse you know that was maybe like 10 years ago or so I was ready for that but um but like yeah you start to realize what what's possible and that there is more and that we can build outside of what's there already uh, you you know you don't have to participate in the garbage yeah yeah nice um yeah i'm curious if you have any thoughts about kind of the sociological dynamics i guess I, i'm i'm yeah. particularly interested in asking you particularly um so i get the sense that you're kind of uh leftish kind of a liberal which i you know frankly am as well uh, it's very kind of ideologically diverse and you know a lot of like controversies come and i'm curious you know if you have any thoughts about that or yeah yeah what Absolutely. You um yeah I'm, I'm definitely left leaning um on the political compass uh libertarian left mm -hmm. as of my most recent take um but I like being a part of the the Doomer Optimism crew because I'm I'm exposed to so many more viewpoints I wouldn't be otherwise. Like I'm actually having conversations and participating uh, with people that are quite right wing and seeing their points of view. And I, I like what's happening with the the sort of bridging. Like we are finding all of that that common ground. Um, and I find a lot of those those characters quite fascinating. Um, and I'm learning a lot from it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was that's that was kind of one of the initial premises of the podcast was was that, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's a lot more complicated. I think about I don't think think about it quite this simply now, but one of the thoughts I had going in was that kind of localism or say you know neoliberalism was kind of like a different axis mm -hmm. uh, left and right, and so the idea was that. You know, we're all coming in with our left and right viewpoints, um, but we could collaborate on this other axis, which, mm -hmm. you know, there's potential for a lot more common ground. Um, and so, you know, on the localist axis, it's it's easy because, it, you know, in, in permaculture, more generally, you know, there's this really interesting phenomenon where, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the new entrants in the permaculture, you know, have pretty conservative viewpoints otherwise. Yeah. Right, uh, and the common ground is that, you know, every a lot of people just realize that a little bit more self sufficiency and community sufficiency, and growing things uh, and interacting with nature, is actually a healthy thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. Yeah, and you know, when you're in neighborhoods where people have that ethos, you know, connecting there first makes it perhaps a little bit easier to approach more difficult left-right topics yeah. with, with more of a platform of like common ground and trust. It's not that you can like avoid those things because they inevitably come up and they're important, but it's nice to have some sense of like, okay, like, you know, I resonate, you know, I resonate with this person in a pretty deep way in this way. So, so let me, let me try and be a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. it. Or, or listen a little bit more even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, do you find that that's been the case? Um, sometimes. <laughs> I, I, that's why I think it's, you know, I said it's a little bit more complicated now. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, not so much. On Twitter, mm -hmm. not so much, right? Uh, I think it, just the incentives of the platform. Mm -hmm. um, 
especially when you could be having a dialogue with somebody and just any rando can kind of just jump in and mm -hmm. throw the whole thing off kilter right and then there's all the there's the likes and there's there's kind of adverse incentives uh, mm -hmm. in many ways um so i i think oftentimes twitter even do twitter is kind of a shit show right? yeah absolutely I, I try and you know uh, oftentimes i just try to stay out of it and, mm -hmm. and sometimes i feel like i just have to get into you know put it either either be constructive or you know or put it in my point of view and yeah you know, whip someone's ass <laughs> if, I, if you know from my perspective sure. they need it right yeah. um but yeah it, but you know for example we have the we have the group chat and i find that a lot more constructive like there, it just seems to be a different incentive structure and you know you're yeah now where you know where there's not actually a lot of fighting which is, yeah. which is interesting. there's there's a little bit of like back and forth and tension but there's not really a lot of like dunking yeah, that's it. It's it's a lot more friendly in that way. Friendly, and it's it, like on Twitter, it's like, the, you know, if you dunk somebody, you get a lot of like, you know, a lot of people will give you positive validation for it. But I think mm -hmm. in like, you know, more of a private space, you don't get positive validation. People just think you're a jerk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get called out right away. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. one thing I've found interesting about about uh, like the trying to come to a common ground sort of thing is in actions, most of the people involved or like in that sphere are doing the same thing. They're all taking the same actions, but where we get stuck is on the semantics and definitions of things. Like yeah. the people get so offended when you use certain definitions for certain things, even though it, to you, it describes that action. And I feel like that that's part of what's brought the whole, the doomosphere together is that people are doing the same things or they think the same things is the right thing to do, but they can't agree on a, even a name for it half the time. And that's, that causes so much division right there. Right. Or even the reasons for their, why they're doing yeah, it. Yeah. That too. Yes. Homesteading, you know, and they're, you know, doomers in some way, but they're doomers for very, very different reasons and, mm -hmm. and reasons that others might not validate. <laughs> sure. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like I think, Two, like on the left, you know, like a reason might be climate change and conservatives, you know, might not see that as very salient or mm -hmm. not right conspiracy, but they, they might see kind of, um, you know, have more of a critique of kind of centralized regime kind of power that's, yes. you know, against their interests. And so mm -hmm. they, have, you know, they have to figure out how to how to be more independent from the system and it, you know but 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 as you said it all cashes out into kind of the same you know pretty much kinds of activities yeah uh, which is interesting yeah. So yeah it's funny too like we can't you can't even get some people to to admit that they're doomer optimists as well even some of the, the og <laughs> optimists which i find pretty funny and that i get that i mean nobody wants you know for a while like we we were more we were looser with it before we were like we don't even want to call it a movement or anything mm -hmm. like that uh one of our first episodes actually pre-podcast when we had this other series on, on the stoa we had a whole conversation with with joe norman about labels and like okay how labels can get you in a lot of trouble and we're like oh we're just being very kind of uh loose with it mm -hmm. and over time it's become i think more of a identity Mm -hmm. but yeah i definitely respect i definitely respect that you know like it's just a label 
yeah. that's that you know could describe a center of kind of mimetic gravity online yeah yeah interesting yeah so i don't know what else what else uh you want to talk about <laughs> i don't know um what about you why don't you tell me what you're working on um well um right now uh let me think i'm gonna i'm gonna interpret that in terms of like homestead sure uh, well uh gonna start kind of a meat chicken operation uh yep. spring uh so just built a chicken tractor or you know it's mostly built and uh and besides that you know we have a pretty pretty good sized garden it went really well last year you know it's upwards of 3,000 square feet or something okay. um, and so that's that's been kind of the center of my focus part of it is just like we haven't had a lot of disposable income mm -hmm. just because you know we ba we basically are able to pay our bills and and live paycheck to paycheck at this point um, and so I haven't really been able to invest in like capital intensive projects like yes buy a tractor or any, you know I just can't sure. do that um, and so I focused a lot on, you know, like the last couple of years, like maximizing what I could do for really cheap. And one thing you could do for really cheap is garden. Yes, absolutely. It's just, it just takes sweat, you know, yep. sweat equity, um, you know, and then trees are not bad either, except for the damn fencing, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, yeah. And so I think, you know, it, it's kind of just continue on with that, like plant more trees, uh, expand the garden a little bit, um, you know, refine our process a little bit, um, get a meat chicken, meat hen operation going. Um, and then uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but, but I'm trying to uh, kind of start organizing kind of these <clears throat> more kind of regional activity, you know, mm -hmm. among people, both, you know, that I just, just, just know, you know, in real life, as well as people who live nearby online of, of just having more kind of activities, workshops, uh, mutual aid, you know, kind of nice. various kinds of, you know, uh, collective organizing. And, and so one thing we've talked about is kind of these rotational uh, meetups, basically, where we help each other or rotational work days, kind of like barn okay. on someone's property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one thing that that would be nice when we when we uh butcher all the chickens which right. like 25 or so to to get them over there to, to do that um so that should be fun that'll be hopefully that'll be an excuse to like actually meet people in real life that i only know online right okay now. yeah that's awesome is that, is that, that's the main organizing uh principle there was like around mutual help mutual aid yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I have kind of fanciful visions of more kind of bioregionalistic kind of organizing in general, but this seems like a good place to start of just, yeah. just start meeting like minds, start engaging with each other in projects, helping each other yeah. out, um, and then see see what goes from there. Uh, so, oh, that's great. yeah, so that's the that's the main thing, you know, I. Uh, Again, you know, I thought about, we thought about getting sheep, thought about getting sheep this year, but just decided, uh, my, my wife is not, <clears throat> not so hot on the idea of sheep. Uh, okay. So I, I don't think I've quite convinced her, but also it, it, it just seemed a bit much. Um, 
right. one step at a time. Oh, yeah. So meat birds seem like a better, an easier way to get into kind of the meat, you know, uh, meat side of kind of homesteading. You know, besides we have yeah. we have rare hens, but, you know, to actually. Right. Oh, that's a great start. Yeah. Nice. And how long have you been there for on your property? Uh, this is our entering into our third year. Let's see, no, okay. we got in early 2020. So, yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, our um, fourth year. I think it's actually our fourth year. Okay. And regarding your gardening, are you a chaos gardener or are you very organized? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty okay ass. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm organized, but but I think our, our garden last year was phenomenal, I, I think. You know, I, I was very pleased, especially compared to the year before. Okay. Uh, the year before, I didn't really know what I was doing still. And, and I decided mm -hmm. to move to kind of a no-till-ish system. Okay. And so, and yeah, it worked out really well. And so I, I'm not, I'm not organized. It's kind of like, oh, it's, you know, February, it's, it's, it's April 1st. We need to get these seeds started and, you know, and we get them in the ground. But I think I have a pretty good foundation in terms of like, you know, building up the soil uh, right. and providing the conditions. And then okay. in terms of, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm decent. I, I still have to look up a lot of stuff, you know, in terms <laughs> of varieties and when to plant. Right. Of course. More people could, could, could perhaps help, help with that. Uh, but yeah, uh, last year I felt very validated in what Great. I did. Good output for what you put in. The previous two years before that were, were okay, but they yeah. weren't, yeah. Do you, have, what do you focus on? Like, do you have, do you have a handful or do you experiment a lot? Or? <clears throat> so we've experimented a lot. Like we've, we've basically tried to plant most, most things that, that are, you know, thought of as good in this area. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, like there's a few things that, that I want to kind of expand just because I just think they're great crops for us. Um, garlic, you know, yeah, uh, of course. garlic, expanding garlic. Expanding garlic, uh, we're trying to basically expand every year, like basically take half of our crop, replant it, and then, right. you, know, and, you know, each, 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 you know, each garlic has, has like four or five uh, cloves or bulbs. Right. Uh, and so, uh, so we're trying to continue to expand that, that you know, if we are, we thought if we were going to have like a cash crop, it would be, uh, that would be probably the first one. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to grow. It's also, you, you plant it at a different time of year. So yeah. It, or the rush yeah uh, true and it's a high valley crop uh another one is i think we're expanding potatoes like we still have a whole bunch of potatoes in in our storage in our basement uh and just potatoes are just awesome right they're yeah, just awesome. like such I a love growing potatoes too know, it's just such a they're all such a solid staple um they, they they definitely probably more than any other vegetable give a feeling of like food security if you have mm -hmm. like a ton of potatoes in your basement you're like well I might, you know, I, I might not be very healthy, but I, but we won't starve for a little while. Yeah, right. Um, I like that you can kind of just stuff them in too. They're yeah. easy to plant, you know, yeah. like I had some spare corners this year with, with like bank yeah. soil. So I just threw a bunch of potatoes in there and they, they did great. I fed them lawn clippings and it was nice. Yeah. And we're also doing that. I, last year I tried this kind of um, no dig strategy or put them on the surface and then pile on a bunch of. Oh hay. yeah. Right. Straight on like fresh yeah we put put like a an inch of compost on top and then just okay. pile on and awesome. it, it great uh, and then i think tomatoes is the other big one because yeah. 
like you just can't make enough tomato sauce and salsa with it yeah it's, it is nice for sure we tried a whole bunch last year and we had quite a few um i found one of the most efficient ways to preserve them though was freezing we did a bit of canning last year but it's just so much energy and so much work but yeah uh, sort of on a whim we just froze a bunch of tomatoes and we've we've been cracking them out throughout the winter and it's super nice to just whip yeah, up a spot boil them first or uh, no we just threw them fresh <laughs> all mixed we had like four different varieties just into the big freezer bags and straight into the freezer okay interesting yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah i mean we made we made a bunch of tomato sauce and salsa and and hot sauce and oh nice we're, we still have a little bit left but we're running low so we're like okay we could definitely do do more tomatoes you can't you can yeah them. yeah it's it's hard they're so fun too yeah like all the different varieties right right yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. fun to yeah, they're fun to grow a trellis and yeah that. experiment yeah i was going to ask you do you are you guys planning on getting any animals on your in your place or is it is it just too small uh i i think we could, we could we've been talking about getting a, like a, a couple ducks or a couple chickens um i had a couple ducks at our last place and a dog and that was pretty fun um but just the amount of work required as soon as you get animals it, it just it goes up a lot so right now we're very much in the experimental phase um okay. and i'm okay with not having them for now my neighbors got chickens uh two of our other permaculture friends in the neighborhood have chickens so we we get more than enough eggs oh nice okay yeah and we've got friends with uh, a pig farm and someone else does meat chicken so we're pretty supplied mm -hmm. uh, where we need it for now um but yeah, a couple couple ducks eventually would be the plan. I like ducks. Very cool. What what kind of water would they have? Like a little pond, or how would you? Yeah, I'd like to put in a little pond back there eventually. Yeah, there's enough space. It's nice and shady right by the forest, so can make a cool little area for them under the trees. Yeah, yeah. Do you would you eat them or would you just use them for their eggs? eggs. Or eggs? Yeah, I like that they're so hardy. We're, yeah. We we were living like way up on the coast. Um, before um by the ocean and we had a couple ducks uh just runner ducks for the just for their eggs and and in the yard it was pretty cool they were pretty fun interactive yeah um, perfect for the rain obviously in the pacific northwest but they eat your they eat your they eat slugs do, do they yeah put them into your garden or would they destroy the garden as well they were they were pretty okay with the garden um there was like a it was edged with logs and they didn't really mess around with it, but um, yeah. they were more interested in the, in the pond and the slugs. Okay. But even if they got in, cause I'm asking because so, so like last year I was growing beans and every night after it got dark, I had to go out and pick off all of the little slugs off, off of our beans. They're just destroying our beans. And oh yeah. If the ducks so, could, that'd be great, but they'd probably just eat the plants as well. Right? Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> they probably, they would go for the slugs first. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure they would they liked seeds a lot that was the main thing we i had sown like wild dock all over um just because it was a fun thing and that was already growing there um but they loved the dock seed so that was pretty neat so like uh, in the fall when the, the, the stems would break because of all the seed the ducks would go crazy for it nice nice sweet um yeah uh <laughs> what else what else what 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 uh what what haven't i asked what would you like to to talk about 
um, I don't know. I guess we could. I don't know. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so be uh, um, any part of your any part of your background that that uh, feels under under addressed in your in, in your intro of what's motivating you or theories of change um, or different parts of your operation that that yeah. you want to talk about. We could yeah. talk about the slippery mind thing that you brought up, but that might be the wish. Um, sorry, we were talking about. Uh, uh this uh, this uh slippery mind doing something creates a slippery mind that, that, okay. might, that might take us into areas that you don't want to <laughs> bring up publicly yeah know. yeah oh that's okay yeah 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 well you you're you're let's let's talk about seasonal uh like like seasonal moods right so earlier i remember you were you were talking about a little bit earlier in the winter that you know this winter has been pretty difficult and you're really looking forward to like getting back into, into planting um yeah i don't know do you want to reflect on that a little bit or yeah yeah sure i mean um it, things have been changing like weather wise here it, it's been so crazy this year uh we we had an incredibly cold start and then it was super warm to the point that around Christmas some of my plants were budding like the leaves were, were uh, getting fat which is super crazy um we usually do a lot of cross-country skiing in the winter and there's been no snow up until then for this it gets super crusty um it was just it's just such a difficult start and especially with the timing of everything uh that's been happening lately yeah. in the world and stuff I guess uh yeah Things are generally unstable. Um, Canada's health system is basically collapsing um, these days. Yeah, what, what, tell me about that. I, I don't I don't know much about Canada's health. I, I know sure. that they're, I know that you guys are really into euthanasia. Or yeah, something. yeah, right. right. But you know, no, maybe um, connected. Basically, they've been up until before COVID. Uh, they've just been the medical system has been working. It's been chugging along, um, but they've slowly been eroding the funding for it okay. um and then they weren't putting any effort into into sort of training new staff so we've had the, obviously the the baby boom issue that everyone's seeing everywhere and people retiring so like it was already just just trucking along and then COVID hit and obviously capacity went way up but all the boomers that were in that space decided to uh, retire so like we're left with almost nothing and then the last almost two decades of like pulling funding back because it was just trucking along just fine has left us in a position where half the provinces now are trying to privatize healthcare basically just in the last year. So we've seen uh, the services almost disappear over the last two years. Um, it's, there's no doctors, nobody's got family doctors. There's no walk-in clinics anymore. Um, in half the provinces It's just not a thing anymore. Um, trying to book an appointment in Quebec. Yeah. Uh, they have, they have like a, contract they contracted somebody to build an app um where you try to book to get an appointment right. um and this is very much the same uh lots of the big uh, telecom conglomerates are getting into it um into this uh the health space but uh basically they only give you appointments 48 hours in advance and you can pay for privileged access so this right there it's it's like we've seen over the last year even it's, it's just disappearing before our eyes 
So this is a this is an example of kind of collapse happening in real time. That's yeah, not absolutely correct. That's like this is actually happening. Well, absolutely. and health is something that I think is generally under theorized and under discussed in the in permaculture spaces, yeah. right? Like we always talk about like food and water and heating, but um, not so much health, except for like try and you know build up your immune system with healthy food and, and, and things, but, you know, not, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to depart the system, exit the system, but, you know, what if you break your arm or something? Yeah, that's it. I know that. I've been yeah. talking about that a lot. Like, you can only get so far with eating healthy and doing regular exercise, you know, like, it, it's inevitable, um, us living in the environment that we do, that somebody's not going to get, you know, one in two people are going to get cancer. So, or your kids are going to break their arms at some point, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And I don't know the answer to that in terms of, like, you know, community, our, our, community our, doctors, community nurses, theorizing, right? theorizing about, you know, you know, living in you know, post-collapse society. I don't think, I don't think a lot of people really think about the, the healthcare dimension. Like mm. you're going to want doctors with, you know, some pretty decent tools and, yeah. The medical supplies and things and you know if you don't have that life you know life is going to be a lot more difficult for right how do you do that without like outside the system yeah <laughs> it's, it's rough right um it's rough um i don't i don't i don't think anybody knows the answer to that or yeah i don't know now you're um, seeing that in real time so that's 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 kind of scary yeah yes yeah. um regarding the slippery mind stuff uh do you grow any of that there no no um you know it, i i just I, you know, i'm not i'm not much of a connoisseur like like okay. probably could i you know i i don't know where, where else i would i would you know uh find weed uh i don't have a, like a dealer I, I hardly ever i hardly ever smoke it but okay I was if I was ambitious, I would I would figure out how to do that, but I'm just not that ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at, our, at our last place, we we did. Um, I ordered some seeds, and it's so crazy how advanced the genetics are in some of these these plants. So we did like a full organic grow. Um, I just got some of those big cloth bags um, and some sunshine mixed soil, uh, and we grew four plants: a couple of indicas and a sativa. Um, they, by the end of the summer, I had to build a, a greenhouse. I had like a six foot greenhouse and they quickly outgrew that. Um, and so I, I went and got these, it's like a 14 foot two by fours and made an A-frame in the yard and, and wrapped it in uh, six mil poly. And by the end of the summer, the the, the trees were, were too big for that. So they were growing out of a 12 foot greenhouse. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty crazy. Uh, I, I've had weed for like two years because of that more than that it's been like three years and i still have some in uh food saver freezer bags like a uh, vacuum sealed well i mean probably you know these days everyone grows up i was gonna say that that, that could be like your your main your main uh barter crop it would be a good cash crop honestly yeah and uh, the way we grew it we did like um Is it legal there i don't I have no idea what's illegal yeah you can grow i think four plants in every province except quebec but federally you can grow it but provincially you can't so um yeah yeah but in my experience pretty easy 
to grow, especially with good genetics, I guess. Uh, we did like, uh, what's it called? Alfalfa. We just sprouted alfalfa. And I guess that that's a, a super rich organic fertilizer. So we'd sprout alfalfa for like a, a liter of it. You'd blend that up and then we'd throw a bit of kelp from the ocean in there and blend that up together. And that's that was the main feed for the plants. And that seemed to do uh, incredibly well for them because we got a huge crop of flowers and and leaves and everything. The biomass was insane too. Obviously, you're getting tree branches, which might be decent for firewood too if you're really going for it. And what uh, going back to the slippery mind thing, um, do you do you see it as kind of like a medicine? Like like what does it do for like what does it do for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very casual uh, user these days, just uh, very occasional, but um, I do like to you know, smoke a bit on the weekend and it help it like helps me relax, puts me in the zone. Um I I really used to like uh smoking and making music. Nice. Uh, I don't play a lot of music these days, but um uh, yeah, getting together with my friends back in the day, we would write some pretty crazy songs. Just make sure you're uh, recording it, you know? <laughs> nice. Nice. And yeah. and what's this um you resonated when I used this term slippery mind and I, I said that in the context of Again, I, I hardly ever smoke these days, but mm -hmm. I smoke more. I, one thing I noticed is that, you know, the way I describe it is that my mind becomes a little bit more slippery and in and, and the positive sense that makes me more creative. Yeah. Uh, just just more dynamic in general. But the the less positive is is that I, I seem to have less um, you know, there's just less control in general. And yeah. and just kind of random <laughs> thoughts and perceptions arising that can be disturbing and, and unwelcome and yeah uh, etc absolutely it yeah it occasionally will rehash some of my like bad experiences or, or feelings like uh some major traumatic events but like it, it's funny because it, it is that sometimes that's the opposite of that right but other times you'll just be in that space and then all of a sudden i'm reliving right which might be you know from want. the perspective of like processing trauma but you know mm -hmm. yeah but you won't necessarily process it exactly it. maybe i'm not in the right mind frame for that then but it but that's exactly it like it feels like it could be a good time to to work through it you know because it, it, it really puts a different spin on that yeah yeah i mean things definitely become much more somatic for me where i relate to emotions or even how i how i perceive other people and let's just say mm -hmm energy fields I, yeah. I experience it physically right as kind of like an orientation of energy and you know and and there's definitely a lot of like movement of energy up and down my body for example and it's all how you, for me I found also how you work with it like if it gets stuck somewhere mm -hmm. I can punch up around it then it could actually be very you know it, it can be very bad it could be even physiologically right kind of, harmful and you know as well as psychologically but if you're kind of like able to process it and you know dance dancing helps with that and uh <laughs> movement yeah. i think yeah that's that's a good point too like uh, when you're actually active i i do really enjoy it sometimes i, I go work in the shop and yeah. try to build some stuff right yeah um i'm definitely i yeah it's definitely not a social social drug for me uh, yeah like, yeah I just can't vibe with, you know, a normal conversation. 
more, you know, it, it, no. I, just, I just become very quiet and observe, but I'm by myself, then, you know, then I'll start dancing or something. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, walking in the forest and foraging is especially fun that way too like mushroom hunting or something because you can be hyper focused and really noticing other things um so so do you think it, it's, it helps like build your kind of intuitive capacities for like absolutely 100 percent. like i it helped me realize that you can smell certain mushrooms for instance when you're foraging yeah um like it yeah that it kind of puts me in that that heightened focus state and that's it helped me realize that like well i can actually smell those so now even when not smoking it's I've been able to to recognize certain scents. Right. Tell me more about the foraging. Um, have you have you done a lot of foraging? Is that yeah. part of? Yeah. So I I'm always I, just super fascinated by fungi and mushrooms. Um, I I had I remember when I lived in the that uh, sort of tiny community. We were backed onto like a hillside um, by a big lake. So uh, right behind the Kokanee Glacier, it's called. Um, so we had just like endless mountains of forest so I would um, just hike up there with my digital camera and my dog and we would just go for hours and I would just take macro shots of fungi um, and I did this for like the whole year we lived there uh, and just fascinating as many different cool little fungi as I could and um, eventually started identifying them and going from there and, um, and so everywhere I've went as I've moved across the country and back and back again um, I've sort of just really taken to enjoying finding fungi, um, started eating it in the last uh, few years as well. It took me a while to become confident enough in that, but uh, I mean, I'm super confident in about like six or seven different species now. Um, and I really enjoy identifying it and uh, sort of hunting for them wherever we go. Nice. Is there any, any in the forest near your, near your house? Yeah, actually, like as soon as we moved in, is that public land or is that somebody's private land? That just yeah, it's, it's private land. Yeah, they just, they, they're okay with you just going on. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like I think there's like two farm properties and they all sort of back onto it and the, they have just very I guess unmanaged forest pretty much. They cut down a few trees in there every year to take out for lumber and then they they there's a kind of a an understanding here in Quebec. There's not really much public land down here in the south. So it's um, it's it's just kind of an understanding. Like if you're not wrecking it, it's okay. Um, they let snowmobile trails roll through it in the winter and everything like that. Like uh, they they're well marked and everything. So there's yeah hundreds of kilometers of snowmobile trails just rolling through properties like that. So there's um, yeah, it's it's kind of a cool no resource to have. There's no deer to hunt though. <laughs> there's lots of deer. They just don't come in our yard. They don't come near us. There's a if. If I go in the fall during deer season, there's deer hides and uh, and like uh, deer deer stands everywhere in there. So there's all there's obviously lots of deer around that forest, but I don't know, man. They don't like our our yard or our neighborhood. Interesting. Do you do you do any hunting, or are you interested in in doing hunting? Um, maybe one day, but uh, fish a lot in nice. my life. Um, when we lived on the Pacific coast, I did quite a bit of salmon fishing, and uh, the rivers were. Were super cool to be able to pull out um, all sorts of fish, crab off the beach and stuff. So did quite a bit of that when we were there because of the access. But it's a nice resource. Just just mushrooms these days and and ramps and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
Go to go to focus in. Yeah, I don't. I I, I want to get into hunting. I've never hunted before. My my dad used to, like hunted when I was really young, but then right. stopped. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> I just remember being really young and staying in the car. Okay. <laughs> and so it's yeah, I'm I'm kind of sad that I didn't grow up doing it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Something. Yeah, I think it would be a great resource. Uh, it's a, it's it's weird. It's a whole culture around here too. Like I'm here, like that time of year it's uh all the i guess the, the the tool stores there's a store called canadian tire here which is like our big like uh they've got outdoor stuff and car stuff and anyways it turns half the store turns into hunting gear and then you'll see every weekend just literally parades of of trucks driving with like deer legs sticking out the back and there's a uh, like pop-up butchers and stuff that yeah. pop up and you'll see lineups of like like 15 cars with moose and deer on the back even even tiny cars they'll they'll be like a sedan with the deer sticking out the back so it's a, it's a whole thing here it's a whole production it's pretty neat um I mean, except they bait here which is interesting they what they're allowed to bait so the they, they sell all the gas stations sell giant bags of carrots and apples yeah they do that they do that here as well okay uh, yeah they're, they're allowed. yeah i mean it's, it's it i think it's a really good thing i mean a lot of people you know are, are able to be you know get a yeah. lot of food through their families and you know is you know i guess in m many places and definitely here you know deer populations are always out of control oh yeah there's no shortage of deer for sure it, it, it just seems like uh you know a good yeah <laughs> situation yeah. for like we were thinking, need more of it in some places even yeah need more hunting and so like yeah like that's a nice problem to have in terms of boosting food security and absolutely yeah yeah be cool to see more programs like that even um programs like teaching kids how to hunt or yeah. yeah that would be cool too yeah yeah well I, i've got a i've got a five-year-old and so i've, I've got to okay. i've got to learn how to i've got to learn how to hunt mm -hmm. you know by the time he gets old enough you know so I, I feel like i'd fail as a father if you know my kids didn't grow up hunting and so that sure some that's some good motivation for you me you got to pass on some of those skills for sure um i got a game our, our nine-year-old has a pretty good eye for mushrooms so far and she nice. can eat a whole a whole good number took her fishing a few times too but she she got pretty traumatized by by some fish incidents so yeah <laughs> like what oh like a hook through the eye of the fit of the fish not her but like uh you know the eye popping out of the fish is not that yeah not super exciting for her and so the fishing stopped after that trip but well maybe a couple years a couple years yeah yeah well cool man this has been this has been fun it's nice to get to know you a little bit better yeah same yeah is there anything else that i don't know that, that i missed or um not particularly but like regarding uh perma people if anyone wants to um you know, collaborate on anything. We're always open to that. As I said, we have a, an API for that and all our data, we're, we're happy to hand it over if you have a um, a project that, that fits our needs. Um, yeah, and just, that's it. Keep cool. building your community, I guess. And, yeah, and you're Sim Goober on Twitter, S-I-M. Yeah. Slim, Slim Goober. Slim Goober, yeah. Yeah. just real quick what's the story behind that oh i just decided i wanted to go anon for a while so i changed it but like why slim goober um 
I I tra I, tra I spent nine months traveling in Australia when I was like uh, 20 and um, my nickname was Slim there for for some unknown reason. I think I lost lots of weight. We were living in a van and just eating avocados for months. So, okay. yeah. Good. So I was slim. That's it. Mm. And my last name is Gooder. So, Goober. So, okay. Good okay. student. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, this has been nice. Nice to get to know you a little bit better, the man behind the avatar. Yeah. Same, Jason. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, this probably should come out in like, two weeks maybe three weeks or so okay i mean oh you're doing a recording too soon right aren't you interviewing somebody yeah yeah with uh, the zero input agriculture dude yeah uh, okay. shane i think he's writing fiction as well very cool interesting uh, yeah when are you doing that interview uh 24th 24th yeah okay cool so you're you're jumping right on it we you know we we interviewed you and now you're qualified to interview and you're jumping right on it this is the kind of, this is this is the kind of like go-getter you know go-getter attitude that, that that we love so perfect i'm into it glad to contribute to a fine cause all right man uh take care yeah have a good night